The blessings of obedience and the curses of disobedience has never been nullified. Now, here is what has been. When it comes down to the atonement for things that are done that was in violation, it required the death of an animal and the shedding of that animal's blood. The atonement is fulfilled in Yeshua. Cursed be he who hangs from a tree. Yeshua did not satisfy the curses of disobedience. He did not satisfy or do away with the curses that is associated with disobedience. What he did satisfy is the sacrifice that would be required when a person repent from their disobedience. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the book of Genesis. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. Jacob did not understand the culture, customs, and nature of contracts or covenants in Haran. From his entrance into the region, Jacob was introduced to a different way of life, but maintained his way of doing things. Jacob makes a covenant or verbal contractual agreement with Laban, not fully understanding the firstborn sister marriage first custom. Laban knew this going into the agreement, but neglected to tell Jacob the small print. Leah was in on the misrepresentation because she would have to lay with Jacob, and it was clear for seven years that Jacob was working for Laban in order to marry her sister Rachel. We see that in this culture, the daughters did what was instructed by their fathers who chose whom their daughters would marry. Rachel was in on the plan too. She knew there was a marriage feast and Jacob would be wed to Leah, but Rachel kept quiet. Jacob had to accept the marriage arrangement for he had no choice if he wanted Rachel. Today's study title is Marriage and Deception. So, let's study. So today we are talking about marriage and deception. And I'm hoping that today's message is going to give us some insight in some of the things that we have covered. And I'll point some of those out as we go. In a nutshell, I came up with what I call the three C's of Haran. And that is customs, contracts, slash covenants, and culture. And so today we're going to look at some customs, some covenant or contracts and culture in this teaching today. And I'm hoping that it'll help us understand some of the things that we have dealt with prior. As we we talked about how when it comes down to sin, during this time and throughout Genesis, sin is not identified. Paul tells us that sin, where there is no sin, there is no death. Where there is no law, there is no knowledge of sin. And so he tells us in Romans that um, death reigns from Adam to Moses. 
And the reason why death reigned from Adam to Moses is that the lives that people were living, they didn't even know that they were sinning. They weren't, sin had not yet been defined, even though it had been revealed because from the very beginning of Cain life, the Bible tells us that father says to him, sin crouches at your door, but you must master it. But it, it doesn't tell us or define it. And so as we go through, uh, we're going to see that some of the things that Abraham and Isaac did, it falls into a category that we on this side of the New Testament and on this side of the commandments, the law and the Torah, uh, we would clearly see it for what it is. But on their side, it would be somewhat viewed differently. People of various cultures have customs that may be viewed as unusual or unseemly or just downright wrong by people of other cultures. For us to see somebody bowing down to a golden image would be an abomination in our sight, but in their sight and in their culture, they would be viewed as somebody who is, how would you put it, holy, (laughs) righteous, devout, you see. But to us, it would be something that is just wrong. It would be idolatry. So idolatry to us would not necessarily be considered idolatry to some of the people who are practicing it. An emerging custom that seems to be prevalent among the people of Abraham's family members. And what I mean by Abraham's family members, I'm talking about the people that Abraham came from. Because remember, father told Abraham to leave. Abraham was from Ur of the Chaldees. But we're going to see that when Abraham left, Terah, Abraham's father, seemed like he brought his entire household to Haran. And here we're going to see that when Jacob leaves, his parents send him to Haran, even though Abraham and his family was from Ur of the Chaldees, but they migrated to Haran and Haran seemed to have been named after Abraham's brother. And so an emerging custom, as we're going to see here, which is prevalent among the people of Abraham's family members, and that is a custom that can be perceived as deceptive. Abraham displayed characteristics of saying certain things that were customary that we in our culture view as not completely truth or half truth or just a downright lie. <laughs> Isaac displayed the same type of custom or half truth when he said Rebecca was his sister because in essence, she was his cousin. And in essence, Abraham, when he says that Sarah was his sister, then she could have been half sister or cousin I believe she was a cousin because of the language that we went through when we dealt with that portion. Even Sarah went along with Abraham and Rebecca went along with Isaac, both knowing that what they were saying was not completely true, or it could have been within the customary boundaries, whereas the people where they were originally from would have understood. So had they said that in their area, 
where they were from versus in the area where they were, it probably would not have been viewed as something deceptive. Because I know where I came from. It's nothing to call somebody, you know, their cousin or kinfolk or brother or sister, whereas they're not even related by blood. A deeper look reveals Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, and now Laban all came from the same bloodline, the same culture, and the same customs. Forgive my typo and my lack of commas there, but I think you get the message. (laughs) Then Jacob went on his journey and came into the land of the people of the East, chapter 29, Genesis verse 1. And here, one of the first things we see that Jacob encounter is a lesson on the protocol or custom of the people of the East region. And verse two says, and he looked and behold a well in the field and lo, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well, they watered the flocks and a great stone was upon the well's mouth. Now, this is an interesting well because it's either one that goes down or one that somehow I'm trying to envision this. Be honest, I had a hard time envisioning it, but you'll see why in a moment. And thither were all the flocks gathered, and they rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the sheep and put the stone again upon the well's mouth in his place. So there's some kind of customary process that's going on. And what Moses do, who is writing this, he gives us a precursor of what is about to take place. And so Jacob, now he's looking at this. Here's what he sees. He looked and behold a well in the field. And there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. You see, so so he's identified three flocks, possibly three shepherds who have three flocks and there's the well and the sheep are simply laying out in the field. And during this time of day where Jacob comes from, this is not how things are done. So Jacob is going to ask the men where they were from. And when he learned they were men of Haran, he asked about Laban, the son of Nahor. And so Jacob said unto them, my brethren, Where you be from, whence be ye? And they said, of Haran are we. And he said unto them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, we know him. And he said unto them, is he well? And they said, he is well. And behold, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. And so at this point, when Jacob sees what's going on, Rachel is coming with sheep. He sees a sight he does not understand, and so he questions it. Why? Because he doesn't know or understand the protocol or custom. And here's where I'm going to reveal to you what I call the three C's of Haran, custom, contracts, and culture. And Jacob didn't understand this. So from his entrance into the region, he was introduced to a different way of life but maintained his way of doing things. So it's like going into a different country where they speak a different language, they have different cultures, they 
They do things a little bit different. And now here you are, and all you have is your concept of how you do things. I remember when I went to Kenya for the first time, and I had to take a shower out of a bucket. (laughs) You know, it was very different than what I was accustomed to. But to the people, that was everybody did it. As a matter of fact, the same thing in Nigeria. And then I come to find out that folks who come here from Nigeria and folks who come here from Kenya, where we have showers, where all you got to do is turn on the shower and take a shower. They got buckets in the shower where they run water (laughs) in the bucket. It takes showers in America like they take showers in Nigeria, which is not how Americans take showers. Why? Because that's a custom. This is how they are accustomed to doing things. Of course, after a while, all that kind of stay out, especially when Americans start teasing them about it. And here we see the shepherds, the sheep, and the well custom. Now, you can easily miss this if you're reading it. And he said, lo, it is yet high day. Neither is it time that the cattle should be gathered together. Water you the sheep and go and feed them. It's like these people's customs are different than where you came from, Jacob. So he's seeing things and it's like during this time of the day, the sheep and the cattle are grazing. But here in your Eastern culture, they're all laying here by a whale doing nothing. And you'll see how this play out. So they explain the protocol or custom to Jacob, and here's what happened. He says, we cannot. Jacob said, why water the flock and take them out to eat, to graze? They said, we cannot until all the flocks be gathered together. Until they roll the stone from the well's mouth, then we water the sheep. In other words, here is how we do it, right? And while he yet spake with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she kept them. And here, Jacob breaks the custom the men had just explained to him. It came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother. Now get this, because I'm underlining some things because I want to point some stuff out to you. So let me read it again. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban. Now, hold it. Wait a minute. You see what he does here? The man says, we cannot, but he says, yes, we can. (laughs) So he goes and waters the flocks anyway, even though the men are waiting for the flocks all together. And notice again, he rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban his mother's brother. So Moses is continually pointing out that this is his mother's brother. Now, your mom's brother would be called your what? Uncle. Your mom's brother's children would be called your what? Cousins. 
That's in our culture. <laughs> Not in this culture. Rachel had to have known the custom, but she kept quiet. Now, if the men knew the custom, did not Rachel know the custom? She didn't say anything. She allowed Jacob to do what he did. The men allowed, you know, they just said, oh, here's one of those foreigners. Just like, you know, Americans go to certain countries and they say, oh, boy, there's an, there's an American. Why? Because they, they're acting like Americans. They're doing what Americans do. And they have no regard for our customs and our culture. Just like if you ever get on a flight to Israel and you are on a flight with Israelis, I'm going to tell you, it's a whole different world. If you're ever on a flight with Russians, it's a whole different world. If you're ever on a flight with Africans, <laughs> it's a whole different world. You can tell the Americans, see, the Americans drive on the right side of the road, right? But not only do they drive on the right side of the road, they walk on the right side of the road. I mean, if you if you were in a hallway, you will find that as an American, you will walk on the right side of the hall. And the other Americans will be coming on their right side of the hall. So there's order. If you're in other cultures, folks are walking every which way. <laughs> and driving in some cultures. Can you imagine driving in a place where there's no lines in the road? In America, we have nice lines in the road. <laughs> we, we have right-of-way pedestrians. Man, they say, listen, I remember. Uh, <laughs> Are you bigger than the car? Are you bigger than the car? This is what they say. In other words, you're not in America, buddy. You do not have right away. The cars are not going to stop for you. <laughs> you learn real quick, right? So Rachel understood the customs. The men understood the customs. Jacob didn't know the customs. And as a result, he did something that was uncustomary and everybody keeps quiet. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's brother and that he was Rebekah's son. So Moses keeps emphasizing brother, son. And she ran and told her father, and it came to pass when Laban heard the tidings of Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. And then he, Jacob, told Laban all these things. Now, several times Moses emphasized a relationship as what we would call cousins. The children of a brother and sister would be our, in our culture called cousins. The word cousin is not used in the Hebrew scripture. You can search from Genesis to Malachi and you won't find cousin. It's used twice in the New Testament scripture, and it's in relationship to Elizabeth. The first, when Elizabeth, um, Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, her cousin. And secondly, after, uh, when Elizabeth's cousins come over as she's giving birth, I believe. Genesis 29, 14. And Laban says to him, surely thou art my bone and my flesh. So when Jacob explains to Laban all of the things that he explains, 
then Lebanon acknowledges him as his bone and his flesh. And he abode with him the space of a month. So now Jacob is living with Laban for a month and Jacob has got his eyes on some things, but he's also serving in Laban's house. So Laban calls Jacob his brother, whereas we would call them cousins. And here's where it takes a turn. And Laban said unto Jacob, because thou art my brother. Now he doesn't call him cousin. Now one of the words here is kin, kinfolk, but he specifically uses the word brother. And, and he says, because you are my brother, shouldst thou therefore serve me for naught. Tell me what shall thy wages be. And here's where, you know, in the Hebrew, when people say brother, like in here, some people acknowledge each other as Ak or Aki. And that's, what's up, brother? Okay. And this word, Ak, means brother, brother, same, brother of same parents, half-brother, same father, relative kinship. But what's interesting here is the usage. It's brethren 332 times, brother 269 times, another 23, brotherly one, kindred one time. And so it was not unusual to call a family member brother or a family member sister. You get this? So when Abraham says she's my sister, is it part of a custom where he comes from? When Isaac says she's my sister, is it part of a custom? Of course, using these words interchangeably. And we're going to see that when we get further into Genesis, when Jacob brings his, what we would call grandsons and elevate them to son status and give them tribal land just as his own flesh and blood bone or from his own loin, you see. And so Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. And then there's this interesting verse, verse 17. Leah was tender eyed. Now, this can go in a variety of directions, but the primary word here is weak, frail. Some would even say that this is indicating that she may have side issues, that she may be somewhat impaired in her vision. It's not clear. But one thing is clear is that her description seems to be opposite of the description of her sister. Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. In other words, her eyes and her vision and her sight was good, or she was good to look upon. So, however you look at it, Leah seemingly had some physical deficiencies compared to Rachel, which was described as beautiful and well-favored. And so now we get into the second C, contract or covenant or verbal contractual agreement. The firstborn sister marriage, first custom. So here's another custom that we're going to be introduced to that's going to show itself later. 
Laban knew going into the agreement, but neglected to tell Jacob the small print, if you would. I would call this the small print of a contract, which you should read because within it, if you don't understand, you find yourself being committed and obligated to things you didn't know that you were obligated to because once you sign, you're committed. Verse 18, and Jacob loved Rachel. Now, who did Jacob love? Rachel and said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. Did he go into covenant to serve seven years for Leah? No. The father gave the daughter to the man he had chosen for her to marry. This was a custom. The father chose the man. The father chose who the daughter would marry. In today's customs, the father gives away the bride but it is the bride who chooses for herself who she will marry. And what I find is that there are some, some things that are taken from the Bible that are customs within our community, but partial custom. There's some things that are taken, but not in the whole context, only take what you can use and leave the rest. So, it is not unusual, even in the ceremony, that the preacher would ask, who give this woman to be married? Or who give this woman to this man? Who has the authority to give away this woman to the man? And whoever that person is, now it's just a custom. So where does this custom come from? Well, it comes from the Bible, but the context of the custom that is being applied today, I mean, it is very unusual in our American culture for the father to choose the man for the daughter. And oftentimes the daughter has absolutely no say in biblical culture who she marries because that right is the right of the father even when it comes down to agreements that a daughter makes or agreements that a wife makes, that if the father or the husband override those agreements or those contracts, legally they cannot be binding in scripture, but that's not the case in our culture. If a wife signs a contract, she's bound to that contract regardless to what the husband say. See? And it's some of these things that causes individuals to be deceived into thinking that this culture and custom and the Constitution actually comes from the Bible, which makes it a biblical type of pseudo Christian country, even though, you know, it isn't. But all of this stuff is embedded within the psyche of, of our thinking. In verse number 19, and Laban said, it is better that I give her to thee than that I should give her to another man. So he had the authority. So he says, it's better to give her to you than to give her to somebody else. So abide with me. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed unto him, but a few days for he loved for the love he had to her. And Jacob said unto Laban, give me my wife for my days are fulfilled that I may go in unto her. Now, I want you to consider what I'm about to show you. Now, Jacob served his time and now 
will end up doing time <laughs> with the woman he had not chosen. In verse 22, And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. So what do we have here? We have a, a wedding feast. And this feast uh, is going to last seven days or a week. The custom for marriage was a seven-day feast. And the people of the region were either in on the knowledge of this custom that the firstborn sister marriage, first custom, or were made partakers via invitation. So what Laban is going to do, because the entire community is in on it, Laban knows that he has an agreement with Jacob, right? And so... He knows also if what he's about to say is true, then Jacob doesn't know this, but Jacob has already violated protocol and custom from day one when he entered in. The moment he removed that stone from that well and watered those sheep and nobody said nothing, indicate that Jacob either wasn't open to learning about the customs where he was. Nobody bothered to explain it to him. And so here he's operating out of ignorance. And when it comes to the custom, which could be customary, which could be law, the law of the land, ignorance is no excuse. You can do things out of ignorance, but that doesn't hold up when you're dealing with the customs. And so it behooves us that if we're going to go into a different land, we need to learn the law of that land. When you cross the imaginary boundary from a city to a a township or from a state to another state, you are in a totally different jurisdiction. And living in a township The interaction with the police, the sheriff, and the state patrol, I realize that the state patrol has certain jurisdictional authority that overrides sheriffs in their county and even police in their city. When there is a certain type of accident, It seems, at least this is in York County, where I live, that if there is an accident where there's injury, the state police are the ones who is responsible for the oversight. The sheriff will show up, the police will show up, but they all default to the state police. Now, I'm saying that to say all of those individuals know who and where the lines of authority are. I learned when I was going through this whole detaxing system that, you know, you've got various courts. You've got regional, you've got state, you've got federal, you've got federal property on state line. If you commit a crime on federal land within the state, you go to a federal court, or you go to a state court and state courts, you have to have certain representation in federal courts. You have to know the constitution of the United States 
does not hold up in many cases within a state court and vice versa. And so people can be quoting constitutional law, not realizing that you got a state constitution and a federal constitution. Jurisdiction, when it comes down to taxes, I mean, there's quite a bit of stuff going on. And if you don't know the law and where you are in application of that law, you may have some challenges. Leah was in on it for she would have to lay with Jacob. So she knew something. Because if they're putting together a wedding ceremony, so if she had any type of sight, even if she was blind, it was clear that for the last seven years, Jacob was spending time with Rachel and has spent little to no time with Leah. Yet she's about to lay with a man that she will call her husband, knowing that he's been working for seven years for her sister. Now, we see that in this culture, the daughters did what was instructed by their fathers who chose who their daughters would marry. So Rachel was in on it. She knew there was a marriage feast and that Jacob was getting married. But here again, Rachel keeps quiet. One thing we know, Jacob is the only one in the dark. Laban is not in the dark. The people of the land is not in the dark. Leah is not in the dark. And Rachel is not in the dark. So Jacob had to accept it for he had no choice if he wanted Rachel. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to him, and he went in unto her. And here we have, again, we got the handmaiden custom. Because I find it interesting that we go all the way back. Now, we don't see anything about handmaidens with Noah, right? Noah, his sons were married, and they didn't have no handmaidens on that boat with them. The first time we see handmaidens has to do with Sarah. Sarah has a handmaiden who is Hagar, and she probably had other handmaidens, but she certainly had a handmaiden from Egypt, and she took that handmaiden and gave it to her husband to be a surrogate mother. We're going to see that there's surrogate customs. So here we got the handmaiden custom. And Laban gave unto his daughter Leah Zilpar, his maid for a handmaiden. And I suspect that when the marriage takes place, a handmaiden is assigned to that woman. And it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this thou hast done unto me? Did not I serve with thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? Now, here it looks as if Laban has now deceived. This word beguiled is deceived. When, and looking back, when Esau said that Jacob had surplanted. So there's a difference between surplanting and beguiled. Not a, a huge difference, but here is actual deception versus surplanting, taking the place of, you see. So Laban actually, from Jacob's point of view, has now deceived him. Laban's response, and here is the custom of the firstborn. Now, 
we don't see a firstborn custom with Noah. Noah has three sons. In fact, there is some ambiguity in certain places as to who Noah's firstborn son was. But now we come to find that for some reason, Sarah has this knowledge of the firstborn as it relates to the actual wife versus the firstborn as it relates to a handmaiden because Abraham tells Sarah her handmaiden, which she has given, is hers to do whatever she wants. And one of the first things she want to do is get the handmaiden's son away from the son, which was Sarah's, which was the actual firstborn and son of promise. And we find that when it comes to that son, that all of the other sons that Abraham has, he gives gifts and send them away. So there's something about this firstborn. And then we see that this culture, because Jacob understood this birthright, whereas we find that there's this birthright now that shows up when it comes down to Jacob, which seems to be applied when it comes down to Isaac as it relates to Abraham, but it was not necessarily spoken of until Jacob now desires the birthright, which I suspect comes from the culture that Abraham came out of, because now we see that not only is there custom of a firstborn, but it is not necessarily simply allocated to the male because Leah is the firstborn as far as the daughter is concerned. And Laban said, it must not be done so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. And this firstborn is a Hebrew Bikira, which is in relationship to the female versus the Hebrew Bikor, which is in relationship to the male. Now, what's interesting is that there has not been a commandment concerning the firstborn, because that won't come until Moses goes up into the mountain to receive these instructions from the Almighty. But it's embedded in the culture of Abraham because we see it keeps showing up and it first shows up on the scene in relationship to Abraham and his offsprings. So this passage reveals to us that there was a firstborn custom in Haran amongst Abraham's kinfolk, which could shed light on the birthright and the blessing of the birthright or firstborn. Another custom amongst his people is the week-long feast or celebration of the marriage. And so now that Jacob realized, okay, Laban doesn't break the covenant. He just doesn't reveal to Jacob the small print of the covenant, which is part of the custom. And if, in fact, it was customary and law, then it certainly makes sense why everybody went along with it, assuming that everybody else knew what was going on. So there was no need for anybody to say anything. So Leah had to have known 
Rachel had to have known, Laban certainly knew, and the people that was at the feast obviously knew or they was brought into it. Another contractual agreement for another wife and handmaiden and another seven years of labor. Verse 28, and Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. Why? Because now here's the thing about a covenant, a contract, just because you don't understand the small print don't mean you get out of it. So now Jacob fulfilled her week. Now this fulfilling her week indicates that for seven days, Jacob was with Leah for seven days. And I would suspect that that's who he slept with for seven days. And Rachel doesn't seem to have an issue with this. Why? Because it was part of the culture she was brought up in. And Jacob did so, fulfilled her week, and he gave him Rachel, his daughter, to wife also. So here's the picture. Jacob goes into Leah thinking he's going into Rachel. He spends seven days with Leah. And after those seven days, he now gets Rachel. Jacob gets Rachel, the wife he wanted, and Bilhar, her handmaid. So here, Laban gave to Rachel his daughter, Bilhar, his handmaid, to be her maid. So here again, the wife, the daughter gets married, and she receives a servant. She gets a handmaid. And here, it was actually Laban's handmaid. After fulfilling his week with Leah, Jacob lays with Rachel and worked another seven years. Verse 30. And he went in also unto Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah, and served with him yet seven other years. And that brings this portion to conclusion. We're going to pick up in verse 31 as we move forward next week, Father willing, because this is where this context stops and then they're going to get into where they're starting to bring forth children in these relationships. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints.